0: hey, let's just go do the stuff we used to do and (laughs) everyone loved us for, right? Like, why don't we open early? Why don't we, you know, push the market and get, you know, have a longer season? And why don't we, you know, make this place fun again? And why aren't we, you know, it's skiing. It's supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be like big corporate America.
1: Welcome to The Storm. I'm your host, Stuart Winchester. The Storm Skiing Podcast is focused on the business, history, and culture of Northeast skiing. Subscribe to the Storm Skiing newsletter at skiing.substack.com, where all Storm Skiing podcasts and editorial content will live. You can also find all of that content on the Storm Skiing Journal on Medium. We're also on Twitter, at Storm Ski Journal. Episode number one, Mike Salamano. President and General Manager of Killington Resort and Pico Mountain. Are you ready to go? I am so ready. So ready to hit the slopes. And I know I'll be able to do it soon because Killington will not let me down. The second we could be skiing in Vermont, Killington will make it possible. They're not the only ones who could do it, but they're the only ones who do do it. Look around Vermont. Jay Peak. Stowe. Sugarbush. All of them could open early if they wanted to. They're far enough north. They have the resources. They have the cash. They don't do it. Good old Killington. Sunday River's right there with them, so props to them too. But you know Killington will be open till June. Do you know how hard that is? In Vermont to be skiing from October to June? Yeah, A-Basin does it. Congratulations. The base of A-Basin is over 11,000 feet. Of course, they're skiing in October at Arapahoe Basin. Of course, they're skiing till the 4th of July some years. Killington defies any expectation of what should be possible in Vermont. I love Killington, not just for the long season. Love it because it's huge. Love the attitude. Love the moxie. Love the terrain. Love the diversity of it. And it's getting better. New lifts, more snowmaking, new lodge going in. They're improving that place every single year, dumping a ton of money into it. If you've been there lately, you've noticed. If you haven't been there, get out there. So when I started this podcast, I knew Killington had to be number one because they're always number one for us. They always come through for us. Here we go. My guest today is the president and general manager of Killington Resort in Pico Mountain. He has led both mountains since 2012 and before that served as their vice president of finance for a decade. He has driven constant snowmaking and mountain upgrades at both areas and helped bring the World Cup to Killington for the past three seasons. Mike Salamano is my guest. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. I'm glad to be here. So incredible improvements at Killington over the past couple of years uh last year you had the snowden express bubble lift go in uh took that lift moved it over to south ridge some new tunnels to help people get around um the rfid ticketing went in Uh, this year broke ground in the new lodge you have a new uh, north ridge quad going up why so many improvements and why now
0: well it's a good question um you know i think it's probably the evolution of powder uh i would say partly you know that um They're strong, strong financially. They're not over leveraged. So I think they've been able to, you know, decide where they want to invest their resources. So I think they've been pretty happy with what we've accomplished in the last, you know, five to seven years at Killington, um, really working on trying to improve the guest experience and the culture of the resort. And I think, um, you know, so as a result, we've been wanting to do some of these things for a while. Uh, We kind of embarked on a new strategic planning process couple years ago, uh, as a company and, and a lot more of the focus with powder has been about, um, it's really been about what they call craft, which means, you know, that each resort, I think they finally figured out kind of the model, which is great for us, because the model, you know, under American Skiing Company, and some of the other bigger companies is, you know, trying to streamline operations and, and a little less local control and powder always been good about kind of leaving the control at, at a local level so you know the last couple of years i think as they've laid out their strategic plan it's been like more about you know craft meaning that the resort should each figure out what's important to their local market what makes them unique and for us uh, we'll get into this later but you know we kind of been working on kind of Bring back the beast and kind of the uh, you know using the attributes that make Killington great and and so they've they've really I think liked where we went with that and and I think they realized that at all their properties kind of the competitive advantage for them not being part of a big conglomerate is that we're a family-owned business and and we want to know our customers and 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 be able to react quickly and those types of things. So uh, in terms of why we did these improvements, I mean part of our strategic plan was that Killington, when we look objectively of where we are in the marketplace, I think there's a lot of things we do really well. And I think the couple areas we thought we maybe had more opportunity, a lot of it being in the intermediate skier space, right? There's a lot of resorts in New England that cater to that market. Killington, not so much particularly, right? We have a lot of Black and double black, uh, really aggressive skiing. So I think we we do really well in that market, um, but not always the first choice for you know more of the family middle market type um, type group. And you know we we also felt like you know and this place is big. We have not only great uh, double black and black, but we also have a, as you you know know we have some great beginner terrain. So we've really got it all. And it's like how do we make it more accessible. So for us, I think we felt like, you know, Killington's had a wrap over the years of being maybe unfriendly, or maybe too big, or maybe crowded all those things, right. And we've been working in the last couple of years to try to, I would say more personalize the resort, make it feel smaller. So it, it's um, just a better experience, you can still come for the big mountain skiing and get it like get everything you want but um, we also don't want to scare away that middle market so anyway that's why we looked into tunnels and and trying to get rid of intersections and uh, you know and really the snowden area of the mountain had a lot of really nice blue terrain we had a race trail right in the middle on one of the nicest blue trails we have so we moved that race trail uh, to the side of the mountain on the other side of ram's head and that kind of opened up snowden once we uh, put in the bubble chair and that with some of the tunnels has really just made that part of the mountain ski totally different.
1: Yeah. It made a big difference last year as you're moving around the mountain, you know, as you tailor it to local needs, how much of that is driven by Killington and, and the money you have and how much is powder just kind of giving you this block grant and saying, okay, you know what to do. It's your mountain, make it better.
0: I mean, it's somewhere in between. I mean, we have local control, but the one thing they, you know, we definitely have to pitch them on what we want to do. So it's not, we don't just get to put a new base lodging without a plan, but we've been working on this plan for a couple years and have laid out a multi-year plan and, um, you know, been working with them on it. And, you know, they're a smart group. They want to make sure we're investing in the right areas, but they're not really coming to us and saying, hey, you should do this, this, and this, really. You know, they're they're more, um, you know, on the consulting side. So, um, you know, it's somewhere in between. <clears throat> it's not a total block grant, but, um, you know, part of the process at all our resorts is we all kind of pitch. We go through a strategic plan. We say, here's what we want to do, and, and how does that fit to the bigger goal for us? Our, one of our biggest goals was, you know, trying to capture more of that intermediate market, and I think... Um, and spread people around and make it feel less crowded. And I think the tunnels and and some of the lift changes we did this year really definitely on the busy days made the place. uh, Not that, you know, on a really busy day, I think every resort in New England is, most people consider they're pretty busy, right? So, but for us, it's a huge place. And um, we can see through some of the scan data from last year that um, we definitely moved people. Snowden went from being one of the least busy parts of the mountain to the second busiest part of the mountain. So to me, that proves out the model that's not anecdotal. We actually know more people were skiing there than they were in other parts of the mountain.
1: And and that goes back to the installation of the RFID gates, right? Right. Yeah, and it was interesting while I was researching uh, for this interview, I realized that the wicket ticket was uh, invented at Killington by Charlie Hanley, uh, one of your older employees. Um, I, I know you probably feel a little remorse for uh, destroying his legacy, but, but that aside, how did that shift to RFID go?
0: Yeah, I mean, it is a little sad. We always, you know, that is a point of pride here that that was invented here. But, you know, like a lot of things in life, you got to keep moving. And I think most of the guests are pretty happy who moved to RFID and right. didn't have to worry about the, the ticket wicket anymore. And actually, we had moved in an in interim step, which a lot of resorts have moved to, is, you know, the zip tie, Um, had kind of taken away the, so we haven't really had a, had a ticket wicket in a while anyway, but, um, but anyway, the RFID, um, as you mentioned, we installed that last year and, and that worked great. It really, you know, there's some growing pains, uh, in the beginning with that. Um, you know, we have some tweaks we're doing this summer at some of the mazes, the flow of the mazes changed. You know, it's interesting how different things impact the, the resort differently, but generally, I think for most people, it worked great. I mean, the biggest challenge with RFID is that people come with an RFID card from another resort in one of their pockets and don't realize it. That's usually, we found that's usually the reason people, if they go through a gate and get stuck, mm-hmm. even if they have a valid pass, they don't. They don't realize, you know, ski jackets and pants have like 50 pockets in them, right. right? And people say, no, I don't have another ticket. And then if you make them look through every pocket, they find one from three years ago at some other place. So
1: once yeah, we've got you know, get those, I, I have like a dozen of them now.
0: So the key for people to remember is you really can't have an expired one not just from our resort But from any resort because the readers read that and sometimes they'll read that even and you have your good You have the current one that you have But it also sometimes reads the old one and it comes up invalid right off the bat and they can't figure out why it doesn't work They bring it in they test it inside and it works fine and (laughs) they go back and they have a problem so you know those are little problems i think most people figured it out and i think halfway through the season it was going great
1: so what are the improvements you're working toward this year is a replacement of the north ridge lift which is if you look at a killington trail map without any context it's kind of a humble little lift up at the top of the mountain uh, but it's really one of the most important uh, lifts in the northeast because it's the, usually the first one to open for the season um, did that have anything to do with why you're replacing this lift or is it just it was old and it was time
0: it's a combination of both i mean uh it's definitely one of the older lifts but i think as you mentioned it's important and it's really kind of the especially as we try to focus on early season late season having a long season kind of we think is core to our business uh, sometimes that we're sometimes if the weather's not great you know we start making snow in october we all have people skiing in northridge but we don't have enough temps to come all the way down to the bottom. So sometimes we could be three, four, five weeks just skiing in Northridge. And, you know, that would really in the old days when we didn't really have a way to get you there or get you back, you know, ten years ago we built a stairway so really early people can either walk down and walk back, which is, you know, I know some like it and some don't, but it's pretty cool that um right, we make snow up there and there's really no way to access it. So now we have um you know, a way to access it. But, but in general, that lift is, is important. The other problem we have with that lift is, you know, it's a triple. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. Some of the older lifts have hard, hard time as, as uh, Americans continue to get heavier, uh, might I say, interesting. you know, it's been gotten harder that some of the older lifts, you have to take chairs off or do some other things to make sure they can handle the, the capacity. So, um, You know, anyway, so that's going to be a great lift for us. And it's an important lift even during the main part of the year because it accesses a lot of nice blue terrain on an upper mountain standpoint of people that don't want to come all the way down to the bottom.
1: That's so interesting that you actually have to consider the average weight. Are you seeing that as a consideration with all the lifts you're putting in around the mountain?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's just a general trend that's happened that people are getting heavier than they were 20 years ago. So that is you know, on a lift like Northridge, it somewhat became a problem at times. But um, yeah, that that's definitely on older lifts It's probably a bigger issue. And most of the newer ones have compensated for that.
1: Yeah, you know, that surprised me just because skiers in general are a fitter lot than maybe your typical Americans. So I'm surprised to see that as a consideration, but I guess it makes sense. <laughs> Lots of snowmaking upgrades going in as well lots of new high-energy stuff. Will this help you deal with, like, the freeze-thaw cycles we see and the rain cycles we see just too often in Vermont?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think for us, we need a little bit of everything in terms of snowmaking because the place is so big and we have so much different varied terrain. We have a lot of steep trails and we have different wind patterns in different parts of the mountains. So we're constantly investing. In the last five years, we've spent millions on different, pieces of the snowmaking system. Uh, but as you said, you know, the technology's come a long way. The uh, low energy snow guns are great. And um, then there's some that are maybe less low energy, but are better for other situations. So we're constantly doing that, upgrading pipe. You know, we have a lot of underground pipe and a lot of that needs to be replaced. So it's all about being more efficient, being able to, you know, from a cold, a short cold snap, how quickly can you can you get up and running and be making snow, right? So I think uh, with, the, with the more efficient guns, we can have multiple trails on at once, where in the past, you know, maybe you'd be using all that energy on one trail. So um, yeah, I mean, it's a combination of both. It's, it's partly because of cost and it's partly because, you know, it's the right thing to do for the environment. We're always trying to use less energy. That's a, that's a positive. And, and then, you know, we're also doing the same at PICO. We're putting a lot of money into PICO's snowmaking system um we've been historically focused more on killington uh but um we have some big projects happening in pico as well
1: the mountain is so big how do you determine where you're going to focus from year to year on snowmaking improvements
0: well we have a lot of guys that are way smarter at that than me so i you know we talk we sit down with the mountain team and some of these guys you know the funny thing is when you talk to them they know they know parts of the mountain they call different parts of the mountain by like a trail from like 30 years ago they <laughs> still remember what the name was so half the time i don't even know where they're talking about right <laughs> but they have their own they kind of have their own language but yeah these guys are great they obviously you know are the best in the business they know everywhere where oh at this time of year okay early season we don't have enough pressure in this part of the mountain and or here we need this type of gun and you know so we're always making those adjustments and, <clears throat> and notes during the winter and trying to come up with the plan for the next year and the next couple of years out to try to really figure out how do to continue to maximize the, the system.
1: So you mentioned the, the better efficiency guns. You've also built some solar farms. Uh, you have a couple lifts that I believe are run off methane from cows. Um, can you talk a little bit about why you're investing so much into making Killington less energy intensive to operate?
0: Well, I think, you know, there's a piece of it that relates to cost, right? I mean, there's a return on some of it. A lot of it, there's a re- financial return. We also have t- problems in Vermont where our power gets curtailed, means that our our, <clears throat> our electric utility will force us to turn our power usage down if they have a critical need. So they try to make sure in the, in the grid they're not hitting peak power. Um, we have a cut type of electric contract where um, they can ask us to, or, or kind of force us to lower our consumption. So, obviously, it makes sense for us to continue to shrink what our base load is, right? If we can have more guns running, even in a curtailment, that's going to be better for us. So, that's a, that's purely an operational piece. And then there's just the, just in general, you know, I think we at Killington in a Powder believe climate change is real, and you know, I think we are um focused on taking care of you know the mountain and for the future so at powder you know we have something we call play forever which is really our green initiative across all our resorts where we invest in all sorts of different projects but you know we just think it's good it's good business and i think more and more people think that's important a lot of our customers think it's important and yeah you mentioned methane gas we use cow power to power the k1 gondola and and the peak so that's pretty neat. There's a farm in Vermont that's taking, uh, taking manure, and the methane coming out of the manure is actually generating a gas that's going, that's um, basically putting electricity back into the grid, and then we're buying that through uh, Green Mountain Power.
1: That's, uh, that's, that's a, a new take on the whole uh, buy local thing, right, Mike? You're using reusing the cows from the valley.
0: Yeah, exactly, and I didn't mention solar, but we're doing a lot. I mean, the problem we have with solar – so one, we're a big user of power. So, uh, in Vermont, there's a lot of specific rules on solar and, and, um, one of the rules is you have to have somebody that can take, take the power onto their bill. So, you know, we've partnered with some groups to do some solar fields and, um, you know, it's hard to do them on the mountain because our mountains are so big. There's a lot of shade. That's why Mm -hmm. you might see a lot of solar fields are in, are in, in fields and not in, mountain areas. So, you know, we've been putting them on Pico on the Pico base lodge and in some of our we have some solar trackers, the type that actually track with the sun up on the mountain. But um, we've also invested in a couple of large solar fields all around Vermont.
1: That's great. So the the K1 Lodge seems to be coming along. Uh, there's been talk of a base village for a long time at Killington. I think for a resort <laughs> of that size, it's much needed. It would be a huge improvement. Uh, any update on whether or if that will ever happen?
0: Yeah, I mean so the the village um you know that that area is owned by a, a different a separate party than us. You know, we have cross ownership between Killington and and SP Land that owns that village area. So, in what area are you, you know,
1: are you talking about specifically?
0: Uh it's basically the Snowshed and Ramshead area which we call the village area. That's actually owned by SP Land. And so we're partners with them in that. So so anyway they finally have gotten the permits it took a long time and we got the final permits for that and they've been out trying to find someone to take you know either for the first phase of the development or the entire development and you know i'm always a little hesitant to predict how it's going because i think for a lot of years it's been predicted to start soon and and people have been disappointed but i would say i've been in a lot of discussions lately on a lot of things about the village so i'm hopeful In the near future, we'll start to hear some some news.
1: So that wouldn't actually be a Killington-owned, then. That would be private developers developing that on their land, and it happens to be right there by Killington.
0: Yeah, and we have a cross-ownership, so we own 20% of that entity, and they own 20% of ours. So we did that to make sure that we kind of have the same interests, right? You don't want someone building a hotel at the base of your mountain and really not caring about the, the guest experience on the mountain, right, because it's all so interlinked. So, um, so I think that's, a, that's a positive that um, we have shared ownership in that. So I think, it, I think that's going to work pretty well.
1: And how would that how would having a village right there change the experience of being at Killington?
0: Well, I think one of the most important things is we just have very little true ski on ski off lodging right? We have Summit Sunrise and Bear Mountain. Um, You know, we have the hotel, which you have to walk across a bridge to get there. So that's, you know, considered ski on ski off. But a lot of the other condo complexes that were built a couple decades ago, most of those are ski back, you have to take the bus over and then you ski back. So, you know, I think for, you know, for us to have such a great mountain, but not have a lot of lodging, that's easy for people to get onto the mountain very quickly is an issue and you know and then just just the vibe that a village and those types of uh, that atmosphere can can uh, afford the guest experience so i think as we start building that out i just think it's gonna it's gonna just make it a great place people are going to want to be
1: so you have the K1 Lodge. That's a two-year project, actually. I have that new lift going in. Um, hopefully, that will be ready for October, uh, and hopefully, we'll get the temps to support that. Anything looking a little long-term, longer-term that you can uh, give us a hint about that might be headed Killington's way?
0: Well, we've got a couple other things. You know, one of the things we've been careful to is not overpromise. So I'm always <laughs> a little hesitant to tell people what our next plan is, you know, because for a lot of years, we talked about doing stuff and we didn't do it. And, and then we're kind of focused on really, like, let's do the best with what we got. And that's when we kind of focused on, you know, the guest experience and all that. And, you know, so the short answer is, I mean, I think one of the next things you'll start to see is, you know, powder owns um, Woodward, which is an action sports, um, business and it's uh, summer camps and they have some, some facilities at a couple of our properties and uh, in the action sports world and they're starting to roll that uh, some of the Woodward brand and some, some really cool discussions we're having in that world uh, of how that's going to roll out at some of the resorts. So that's, we see some of the, some of the Woodward influence um, in the next couple of years coming out of Killington, uh, which I think is going to be really cool especially as we try to keep get more people into the sport and and those types of things so that's pretty neat um you know we've got some lifts on our list that we'd like to replace um you know i think you know we're doing k1 which is exciting right and um we've we've um we've been working on a development at bear that would put a new base lodge in that area and you know that one stalled a little bit but you know if the village comes on and the whole snowshed ram's head those two base lodges come down um you know it's not that many years in the future where we pretty much almost all the base lodges at killington would be almost brand new um you know so that's kind of cool in my mind and then we're going to continue to do some lift replacements and and continue to look at the flow on the mountain and and just keep looking to where we can improve next
1: you mentioned that woodward peace park you had one come in last year what was the reception to that like
0: Oh, people loved it. Yeah, it was more of a flow type park, and and we uh, we combined it with our, um, you know, our suit. Uh, we have a pipe at the bottom of that trail, and we actually made the the peace park uh, feed out of that trail in in through the park, and then they did some really cool features within within the uh, pipe um, at the pipe at the bottom of that trail. So um, yeah, it was very well received, and uh, we're looking kind of on, we're we're talking about a whole bunch of new cool things for I would call Woodward part two this year. We haven't announced them yet, but we're probably in the next month we'll be uh, talking about our plans for that.
1: So I want to shift and talk about passes a little bit. Uh, Last year was your first year in the Icon Pass. It didn't seem like there was a lot of this sort of – uh, icon rage that we saw out west at Jackson Hole <laughs> yeah. and a few others—it uh, seemed to kind of fit right in with Killington, but that was my perception from the outside. What was your perception of how that first season went with Icon?
0: No, I think that's true. I mean, we—you know—we're a big resort. We can—I mean—I think the difference too is if you look at the, the kind of the global scale across the Western resorts and some of the ones that really had issues. I think my general sense—and I'm no expert in this—but some of the resorts where people are complaining are resorts that generally didn't have a lot of people. Right. But if you on the east coast, pretty much on a Saturday in the middle of winter, most of the bigger resorts, most pretty much every resort has a lot of people already.
1: Yeah. Right. So I think
0: I think the difference is like a place like Jackson probably didn't have that many people. So now people are just crazed that all these people are skiing on the East. It's always been that there's a lot of people. So I don't think that's why there's probably not going to be as much of an outrage. I mean, unless it got, it made the line so much longer, I, I would say from Skillington's standpoint, you know, we went from the max pass to the icon pass. We actually sold, we actually redeemed more icon than we did in max. Yeah. And, um, But we were able to spread people out, I think, a lot better than in the past, especially once we didn't get our our new lift in Southridge, we didn't get open a little later than we had hoped. So towards the end of January. But once uh, February, March came, um, you know, we really were spreading people around the mountain much better. So I think we have, you know, we have kind of unique ability to absorb a decent amount of people.
1: And did it seem like that Icon partnership, did that affect your the the sales of your other passes, your season passes, your spring passes, or was that just kind of an additive thing?
0: No, I think it was additive for us. Um, you know, there's always the question of, uh, with all the going on in the market, what that's going to do to the local pass, the Killington local pass, right? I, um, You know, obviously Epic's got, you know, now they have new resorts and a whole bunch. Of, and when they bought, you know, they bought Stowe and then when Vail bought Okemo the same debate. What's that going to do to, to our passes? But we've been up the last two years. I mean, I, I think to me, it, it, it says like what we're trying to do is try to be the best version of ourselves. Like we're not going to worry about what everyone else is doing. We know a lot of people want to ski a Killington and we're working at continuing to improve the product, making sure, you know, we have the best grooming, snowmaking, you know, the, the just the general experience. And I think I'd look at a, whether it's our, our survey scores or our season pass sales, you know, the, all the stats tell us we're moving in the right direction and and really not having much impact of some of the bigger players uh, in the market.
1: It seems like some, It seemed like a win-win for everyone. Uh, I loved it. You know, Tillington's a little far for me, but definitely want to get those few days a year, especially early, late season. Um, at first, you didn't have Pico on there, and then you – I got an email around, I don't know, December, November sometime saying, oh, now you can use Pico. Take me through that decision to add Pico on.
0: Yeah. So originally when um, Altera, I think, came to Powder, I mean, if you look at just within the Powder group, they're not at all the resorts. Right. right? So they specifically wanted to be at certain resorts and more than others. So we talked about Killington. Pico wasn't really in the discussion um you know we got some feedback because on Ma- the max pass was was valid at both places mm-hmm. so we went back to the icon folks and said hey you know our guests are asking for this and and they and they agreed we kind of we said do we think it makes sense and here's why and you know kind of pride ourselves in listening to our guests and we do listen and you know we can't always make every change that people want but we we are listening and and that was one we got a, a bunch of feedback and we were able to make the change and that one's not totally up to us right obviously we needed to get them to buy into it but that's how that happened
1: do you, do you think the decision is more a powder decision or an altera decision because some of powders pretty big mountains like Mount hood is not on icon which is kind of surprising to me so it's not clear from the outside if powders holding that back or if altera just isn't interested in particular mountains
0: um let's see i mean i know a lot about that i mean some of it's private information what i would say is generally it's kind of a discussion i would say icon would like to have mount bachelor their big you know they want generally the bigger resorts right so that's generally why a pico wasn't on there mm-hmm. or some of the other powder smaller resorts they were starting with hey we want these big iconic resorts that was kind of the premise when they went out with that product so um but i think you know powder has some great resorts and and honestly has a lot of leverage in that mix of either putting a resort in or not so um uh, I'm not sure if that answers the question, but I mean, I think both, you know, it's a discussion. They've had discussions about it, and and for various reasons, they decided not to. We've had discussions, you know, we constantly have discussions with partners and things about what's the next version of that, right? Some of the resorts are unlimited, some are limited to seven days, right? There's different reasons why either we or, say, an icon would, would want or not want um the resort to be at seven days. So we're having a lot of those discussions, and I think they've been a great partner. And, uh, you know, I think at the end, we'll make sure we continue to kind of do what's best for the guest.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because if you look out west, even on the Icon Base Pass, Copper Mountain is unlimited. No blackouts. Killington, um, on the other hand, is five to seven. Makes sense when you look at the competitive landscape because Copper sits right there, obviously, in Summit County. We're Keystone, Breck, A-Basin were long on the Epic Pass. Now that, that Vail made this big move east and bought Peak and all of those mountains are unlimited, no blackouts. So you have Mount Snow now, you have Okemo, obviously Okemo they already had, but uh, Mount Snow, Hunter, uh, a bunch of mountains in New Hampshire. Do you think that changes the equation at all of, of what sorts of partnerships Killington and Powder are going to consider in the future?
0: Well, I think it makes, I mean, from my perspective, it makes Killington more valuable within the Icon mix, right? Because they, you know, the um, there's a lot less choices for Icon to partner up with. So, right. yeah, I mean, it's changing a lot of things in the landscape and that's, what's always hard to know what these things do. You know, I would say, honestly for peaks for us, the really, you know, Mount Snow's really in our comp set. And then beyond that, there's not too many that I would, we consider direct competitors. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's, I think overall, it's, it's generally a good thing, as I think you mentioned before, just, I think these passes are great. They're getting people out skiing at a reasonable price. And, and, you know, we still feel like even not being unlimited, um, people want to come to Killington. So that's one of the competitive advantages we have, right? Mm -hmm. If we had, if we had a mediocre resort in New England, and we weren't part of one of those, or, or owned or even, had an unlimited pass you know you might be a little worried but I mean the advantage for us is that we have a resort that people aspire to come to so we feel like we're still in a great position
1: yeah there's no question everyone's got to hit Killington at least once a year it's a must stop Um, I am curious about your reaction when you heard the Vail bought peak because that it just kind of scrambles the whole game with that one move
0: yeah actually I wouldn't say I, I was overly surprised I figured one of those guys would buy them I mean they seem to you know they seem like they've had a lot of peaks has struggled a little bit from a being over leveraged from what I could tell for a lot of years so um to me it seems logical um, you know it's one of the reasons someone like a powder doesn't need to sell out because they're very financially disciplined don't have a lot of debt and therefore um, you know are really looking at the ski business for the long term. So it's, from my standpoint, one of the great reasons I love being part of the powder group.
1: Yeah, you mentioned you wouldn't be surprised if either Altera or Vail bought Peak, but you didn't mention powder. Um, You did mention in Vermont business a little while ago uh, that both Vail and Aspen, which Aspen's kind of mixed up in that whole KSL thing, which is a partner Mm -hmm. in Altera, um, they were looking to buy Killington, but powder wasn't biting. Why is powder the right owner for Killington?
0: yeah i mean i'm just saying i think you know in the last year or two it's pretty clear altera and Vale have been trying to buy anybody of any size right i mean just go across the country uh it seems pretty clear even if you're not in the business that they've they're willing to buy anybody that will that it's considering selling especially if you're an iconic brand and they've bought a lot of them in the last couple years but you know, I think the nice thing for us, at, you know, in, as I mentioned before, you know, Powder's a family-owned uh, business. Um, you know, they're not looking to scale to get economies of scale. It's not even how they run the business. They have a pretty small corporate group. Um, you know, their their model has pretty much always been, you know, let the local group manage the business. They they you know deal with capital allocation. Clearly, and you know, they have influence on a lot, but, uh, you know, that's been their business model. And and I think in the last five years, it's definitely come into more clarity. I think from a powder standpoint, they're definitely understand that the, the place where they can succeed is really, you know, as I mentioned before, we call it craft. Each resort gets to be, you know, the best version of themselves. So when powder first came to Killington, as you might remember, 10 years ago, you know, they did push us to, you know, why are you opening her so early? Why are you closing so late? You know, those things didn't make sense from a Western s- model. Some would say it doesn't make sense from an Eastern model, really. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think that's sort of the evolution of that of, of powder. They've, they have have some really smart, great people up there that understand. And, and I think when we made a pivot about six years ago back to some of the things You know i kind of bringing the killington back um you know they let us try all that and i think it's proven out that all the metrics are saying that that's worked for us so you know i think they're saying okay we've got a we've got a competitive market against some of these big players we you know i think uh, john Cumming owns powder he loves the ski business so what's he going to do i mean what do you do i mean it's not like he needs the money so he loves the ski business so if you just sell and you have a bunch of money what do you do with it i think in my mind um, he 's doing what he loves, and he doesn 't really need to sell so from our standpoint that's that 's a great place to be having an owner that's you know looking to keep the business in the family and hand it down to his children and his children 's children and you know um i, I from our standpoint this we 're in the best place i've been here twenty years, and we 're by far in the best place we 've ever been since i've been here
1: so was there a moment when Powder said, OK, the East Coast is different. We can't run this like Park City. We have to we have to let the Killington folks do their things.
0: Well, I think when I when I first took over, you know, I was part of the management team while well, we tried a whole bunch of things when Powder first bought us. But I was the CFO at the time. And, and then, you know, about five years in, um, I got promoted to run the place and, you know, kind of my Pitch to the powder group was We really need to change a bunch of this stuff. We're just doing stuff that doesn't, some of it just doesn't make sense. So we put a plan together and, and, um, you know, they said, okay, go for it. You know, we, uh, you know, the good thing is they're small and nimble that they're willing to try things, right? So they tried a bunch of stuff. They were really small at that time and they've grown and bought a bunch of different resorts and the company's much, you know, a little more diversified. And, and, um, but it's an entrepreneurial company. They were like, yeah, go for it. And, Uh, They let us do what we wanted to do. And and honestly, a lot of the stuff wasn't like we were such geniuses. We were just like, hey, let's just go do the stuff we used to do and (laughs) everyone loved us for, right? Like, why don't we open early? Why don't we, you know, push the market and get, you know, have a longer season? And why don't we, you know, make this place fun again? And why aren't we, you know, it's skiing. It's supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be like big corporate America. So we were you know, trying to look at our business and say, what are the things we can do to differentiate ourselves? And and also, I, I always say to our team here that we need to personalize the resort more. We're a big place, you know, It's that big is great for a lot of things, right? Great terrain, big, sometimes is hard because people get lost and it's such a big resort they sometimes can't figure out where they're going. So how do we make it easier for people? And then also just from a guest service standpoint, I mean, our staff, I think i've always done a great job but i mean i think haven't we haven't always focused on the guest experience and you know i feel like everybody should want to come to killington and why would you not want to it's the i mean it's unbelievable right so we just right. need to make it more welcoming and i and that's one of the things we've been focused on and and um, can our survey scores continue to get better and better and and trying to and trying to really make it feel more personal and less corporate right like why are we making a certain decision okay In the old days, we would just be like, well, we made a decision. We don't have to tell these people, Mm -hmm. right? And I kind of believe nowadays, you know what? You're way better off explaining to the person who skis 170 days And they wonder why you do or don't do something on the mountain, right? Like, why do you make, why do you groom that trail? Why do you leave it moguls? Or why do you do this or that? And, you know, on one hand, I think the old philosophy was like, we run the business. We don't have to answer to them. And I kind of feel like most of your best guests actually believe this place is theirs, right? We're just like a steward to the mountain and trying not to mess up their favorite place. And, you know, I think sometimes we forget that.
1: You know, we're living in a lot different environment that we were, say, 10 years ago. How much do you think this necessity to listen to the customers has to do with the rise in social media and the fact that they can not only talk to you, but each other? And if a mountain is taking everyone for granted, everyone's going to know that.
0: Oh, there's no doubt. There's there's no doubt that has a huge impact on it, right? I mean, we should be doing it anyway, but clearly, uh, if people are upset, they're going to let you know. I'm not sure. The funny thing is, you know, whether it's car rental companies or airlines you know they seem to be in theory listening but they don't seem to change anything from what i can tell right so i mean we're you know i just think that's the right thing to do but clearly you can get a ton of feedback like you could never before and if you have to put your head in the sand to try to pretend you're not going to get it right you have to work hard at it i mean honestly when when i first took over uh, we had kind of stopped communicating because we had done a lot of things that the, the guests weren't happy with. And we kind of got to the point where we had stopped communicating and we had hundreds of people that were blocked on Facebook that couldn't post on our fa- mm. on our page. and And to me, that stuff just, we kind of did a reset and said, we got to start over. That's not a viable plan to have people that are coming here. They love the place so much. They're coming skiing and going home and, writing bad stuff about you online. I'm like, that just doesn't seem, why are you even marketing then, right? So, you know, the plan really became like, okay, let's go listen to them and let's communicate with them and let's explain why we're doing stuff. And, you know, I think the fear was, oh, these people, you know, some people will never, you know, understand or they're never happy. And one of the things that I learned was, you know what, most people are rational and most people just want to hear why you did something and once you explain it to them, they're like, okay, makes total sense. I really appreciate yeah. you taking me the time. And, you know, I know on a lot of different sites, people love to just go crazy, but I've found the more I personally engage with the guest and they feel like somebody's listening, they, you know, they become more loyal.
1: And, and have you seen the business improve? I mean, you mentioned earlier that your past sales have been increasing as you've listened to people more, have the skier visits increase, the revenue increase? Are all the numbers trending in the right direction as you'd expect?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, the last six years uh, we're on a trajectory, as we like to say, up and to the right, which means your graph is getting getting better in most metrics. right? So our survey scores continue to go up um, and uh You know growing revenue growing bottom line and you know i think that's why we're getting the capital investment right they're not going to invest in some in a place that they don't feel like um there's going to be a return so you know within the powder group they've acknowledged that they're you know we're a leader really in you know some of the survey scores and some of the cultural engagement scores of our teams you know if your team's happy and doing a good job they're going to do provide a better product for your guests and all those type of things so you know i think clearly those things matter more than they did maybe 2030 years ago, not just for the ski business, but for every business. And, uh, you know, it's clear to me, if we focus on those, we focus on those a lot more now than we used, to, that we used to mostly focus on all the financial pieces. And now we're focused on way more on the, you know, the experience and communicating better and all those kind of intangible um, pieces of the business. And, and then, yeah, you know, I like to say the financial pieces tend to take care of themselves.
1: You know, part of that shift in going back and and communicating with customers and just kind of changing your swagger back to that uh early open late close killington is you really embraced the the beast of the east branding which was actually from my understanding originally a media tag it wasn't a killington thing but you've embraced it can you talk about that shift a little bit
0: yeah it's interesting you know beast of the east was what they back in the 70s and 80s people used to call us I don't think it was ever really a killington um tagline Uh, When American Skiing Company was in charge of Killington, you know, I remember being in a meeting and, you know, the marketing people thought that was, the, you know, not that we were particularly using it, but they thought that was a terrible, they wanted to be more family friendly and they thought that, boy, that's very very off-putting, you shouldn't use that. Mm -hmm. And um, so we had a lot of debate about that, you know. And I think when we went through that period of the last couple of years with American Skiing Company, be right before Powder bought us, you know, we kind of got into a period where we didn't really know what we were because we couldn't be the beast. We couldn't be this aggressive, you know, aspirational brand that we really were. And we tried to dummy it down to be kind of a little more like everybody else. But that's a hard place to be. And, um, you know, so it's been interesting transitions. And then we came full circle and said, you know what? maybe the beast of the East is who we are. We should embrace it and all the things we do. And we don't want it to be off putting or scary or, you know, try to um, keep people from wanting to come here. But we think, you know, there's a large segment of the market that wants that type of product. And, um, somewhat is what we are right so you, you got to either pick your strengths or your weaknesses and we said let's double down on our strengths so that's really how we got there and, and more recently uh, we just did a market survey last last spring or last winter and um, it was interesting I mean, the feedback on the beast of the east is overwhelmingly positive from our most important guests i would say right there's always somebody who doesn't love things like that and what we found was tended to be lower level people who don't ski or ride very much. So very entry level into the market, didn't see it as favorable as you'd expect, right? And that's not surprising. It's not really clear to maybe that part of the market what that means. But for the, the group that's really into skiing and, uh, and riding and, um, you know, is a, it spends a lot of money and the ones we really need to attract to continue to grow... It actually resonates really well, and it was surprising. Actually, it resonates better than I even thought it would. So that's been that actually was interesting. You know, we actually got some market data to kind of back it up.
1: Well, it, it fits perfectly. The mountain, it, it's big, it's tough, it's aggressive. Uh, it, it's definitely the beast. How do you find that balance, though, with as you said before, like not scaring people away? Because we talked about Snowden earlier. Uh, Read contouring those trails and putting in the tunnels to make the place more welcoming for your lower level skiers how do you tell people that killington is also for families it's also for people learning to ski uh it's huge and yes we have the double blacks we have the runs through the trees we have the stuff that'll scare you to death but if you're learning you can do it here and you can you can do it here as well as anywhere else
0: yeah, I mean, that's definitely a challenge, right? Because you're basically saying we're big enough that we're a little bit of all things to all people, which mm-hmm. is hard from a marketing standpoint to market to every segment of the of the business, right? So uh, that's definitely a challenge. I mean, I think for us, um, the key has been to invest in things that will make that person that maybe in the past was off put by s- different things you know so things like the flow you know we put a six-pack bubble chair and at Snowden put a bunch of tunnels and bridges and now we've got a whole bunch of really beautiful blue terrain that fits uh part of the segment that we of the market maybe we didn't have as much you know we we've always had a ton of blue we have a ton of green we have so much green terrain here you know you can get five mile trail from the peak all the way down to the skyship gondola so you know, it is one of those places that uh, everybody can find anything they want. And, you know, it's one of those, I think, if we can get them to come back and experience it again. And and even different people at different ability levels can really kind of come together and say, OK, I'll, you take that trail, I'll take this trail. And they're all happy. We're you know, other resorts don't really have the ability to do that sometimes. So I think we're lucky that we have that advantage. And I think we've been continuing to focus on the blue because we've got a lot on the green end and the black and double black trails. And so I think, you know, we're starting to make some progress.
1: Yeah, I remember back in the day that Joggernaut Trail was a big deal. That used to be a big marketing thing. They would talk about the longest trail in the East, but you actually had to close that trail uh, as part of some of the other work that you've been doing. Is that right?
0: Yeah, there was a piece of that trail that we ended up getting rid of because it was actually so flat that a lot of, it was almost too flat. If you're a snowboarder, you have a hard time, you get stuck there. And so I think we've kind of kept the piece that's the the most useful piece, which is really, you know, where you can ski and ride. And they had added some, I think, just to add terrain back in the day. Mm -hmm. It was almost more like cross-country skiing out in some of that area. So, you know, it's still, um, still a really great run from the peak all the way down to the to the gondola Skyship, you know. But we did lose that piece. We did a little trading um, on, on some of that to get some other pieces of the mountain. So I think we feel like it's, um, you know, kind of worked out for the best.
1: So I think the temps are probably going down a little bit up there. Uh, I, I know I'm counting down the days. I'm hoping for another October opening. I know that you don't really have any input in that. That's kind of up to mother nature. Um, 211 day season last year, October 19th to June 2nd. You've been quoted in the past as saying that Killington stopped worrying about if they're losing money on the long season. Uh, Why is that such a crucial part of Killington's identity?
0: Well, I think, you know, I think when Powder first bought us, as we talked before, you know, they were based on much more based on a pure financial model. And out West, nobody, people just the resort's just closed. That's just what they do and they don't open too early and and I think we've always had that culture here and so, you know, we kind of explained to them and showed them that, it makes sense for us. If we really want to be the best version of ourselves. that the best way for us to differentiate ourselves is let's get open a month before anybody else. Let's stay open a month or two longer than, than most of the other resorts, right? So as opposed to spending all your money on just marketing and telling people how great you are, why don't we put it into the product and, and make sure we can kind of live that. And then it becomes even people that aren't pass holders, right? There's a huge in the spring and in the fall in October and in, in April and May, I mean, and most of our guests are probably pass holders to other resorts and they're coming here. And as you said, they kind of, it's like a rite of passage. You got to go and fall in in the spring to Killington if you're, if you're a skier or rider. So, you know, we've kind of got to the point where we don't try to math out if it's a good deal or not. Um, We've kind of accepted that that's part of what we're, what we're doing and um, we're ready to go as soon as we can get moving. I mean, we'll probably be, I'm hoping we're open in 45 days.
1: I'm hoping so, too. You know, it, it seemed like when I used to go skiing a long time ago, like back in May, whenever whatever mountains would be open, there weren't many people there. Uh, it seems like this is another social media-related thing. The secret's kind of out. Um, you know, most people would be surprised there were still skiing, but I was at Killington, I think, May 24th. I think it was a Friday this year, and it felt like midwinter. There were so many people there. Uh, it seems like that's actually... From my point of view, it looks like a pretty good part of your business because all the big skiers, they want that that selfie on Superstar in May or June uh, just to be part of it. Uh, Have you seen an uptick in that early, late season business over the last several years?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been growing, I think, especially if the weather's good, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of the the scale of the business, you know, one day in Christmas week um, is bigger than all of... October and November combined. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> right, so that's that's the reality in the ski business that the you know five six days during Christmas week or say you know the two days of President's weekend those mm-hmm. days are so big that um, those mo- on the other sides of the business are um, relatively small. I would say. So I mean. we we can make some money i think some people come on a nice sunny day and see you know i say we have a thousand people skiing on superstar for a day and it's packed and you know there's a cool vibe and people are like oh they're making tons of money i mean we do okay but the problem at that time of year you also get a couple rainy days where Mm -hmm. like nobody comes right Right. so i mean for us it's more of the brand and the culture than it's a true money-making deal i mean i think we probably would math out that we do fine Maybe we'd say it's probably break even. I'm not sure we're making tons of money.
1: So, you just wrapped up a 211 day season. Uh, I think a lot of that probably has to do with technology. You mentioned um, climate change. The technology is better, no doubt, and you're able to still open early, stay open late. But, what kind of challenges has climate change introduced into the way you run the day to day at Killington?
0: Well, I mean, I'm not sure it does right now. I'm not sure like the last couple of years we've changed too much and we still are pretty focused on the same things we've always been focused on is how do we get open, you know, earlier. I mean, I think the advantage is as we've reduced um, our, our energy usage, you know, we need less compressors, right? We're making snow with compressed air and, and water. And if you can use less compressed air, you need less compressors. So, you know, I think from that standpoint, it's, it's helping the business, From that standpoint, um, you know, there is some debate whether the the calendar, you know, Jeff Temple, our mountain operations uh, director, has been here for almost 40 years, you know, says the season's shifting and moving later in the year. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of debate what's going on, but, you know, it's clear we can see it at a place like PICA without a lot of snowmaking investment. um, It's much more volatile, right? And really the issue for us isn't about how much snow we get. Um, You know, that's more of a Western thing. It's really about how good your temps are because it's most of the trails people are skiing on is mostly um, man-made in pretty much every resort, right? So if you don't have a serious snowmaking arsenal, because what happens in the East is you get a a foot of snow in December and then a week later you get two inches of rain. And if you look at a trail that you didn't make snow on that had a foot of snow on or two feet of snow that rain takes that snow down to the, back to the dirt, right? So it does show how we're definitely you know, much more dependent on cold and snowmaking than we were in the past.
1: You saw last year we had an amazing November and then just nothing in December. So without, without that snowmaking, we're dry. Um, you mentioned the snowmaking upgrades at Pico. Is the goal over there early opening, later close, or is it just better coverage?
0: It's mostly better coverage. I mean, we might, you know, get open a little earlier, uh, but really it's about expanding the trail count and having a more viable option over there on a, on a year when we don't get a lot of natural. I mean, when we get a, a lot of natural picos, if you've ever skied there, it's an amazing resort. Mm-hmm. But if you don't get a lot of natural, especially early, like in, in Christmas week, well, one of the problems we've had over there is um, that sometimes, you know, we run out of water. So the ponds are refilling. And we either have the problem where we make a bunch of snow and it run out of water, or we have times where, if you remember two years ago when it was brutally cold Christmas week, like below zero for mm-hmm. multiple days in a row, we got to the point where what happens is the water starts to freeze underground and the and they'd stop recharging the ponds. So mm-hmm. then we had really cold, good snowmaking temps, but we weren't able to make any snow. So we were making a lot of snow at, P- at Killington. And people are saying, well, why aren't you making snow at Pico? And the problem was our ponds were empty, Hmm. and we had no way to recharge them. So one of the big projects uh, we're doing for this year, we're very close with any day now to get the final permit, is to build a snowmaking pipeline from Killington over the Interconnect Trail to Pico. And then we will be able to fill the snowmaking ponds uh, when we need to from the Killington side.
1: That's incredible. Is that more of a, a 2020 project? No, the plan is to still,
0: we're, we're still planning to do it this fall. So oh, wow. uh, we're hoping the permits, we've been planning it for a couple of years. We haven't announced it for the same reason. We usually don't want to because we don't want to overpromise. But hey. uh, it looks like we're very close and um, yeah, we're expecting that to go in this year. And, and in addition, we did a lot of snowmaking upgrades on the Pico side as well. So those two combined should make for some great product over there this year.
1: Well, that's, that's great news. I, I think what I hear skiers talking about the most is the long rumored Pico Killington interconnect. Um, personally, I think Killington's big enough. I have a hard time finding my way around as it is. Uh, nonetheless, the interconnect would be cool. Uh, any thoughts on whether or not that will ever happen?
0: Well, I mean, still on the list of things to do. I mean, I think um, a, a couple things. I mean, I. I've been pretty transparent to say it's not at the top of my list. Mm -hmm. You know, the top of, I think our team's list have been the things we've been working on. Like, let's make the Killington side as good as we can, right? We know we have some base lodge infrastructure that we need to fix. We know we need to continue to invest in snowmaking, and we've been doing that. We've been trying to improve the flow on the mountain. We've been doing that. To me, those things are all, you know, we wanted to put a lift back out in in Southridge and we did that. So, you know, a lot of that is mostly based on making the experience we have, making it better. And to me, it's not just about adding some more terrain between here and and, um, Pico, right? So, you know, I think as the village comes on, I think we'll reevaluate that, but uh, that's not something that we see in our short-term strategic plan. That's not at the top of the list. And, you know, we're spending a lot of money In the last three years and as you see we didn't invest in that because i think we just feel like there's there's just more pressing needs and and things that really can have a positive impact on the guests that we need to fix first
1: do you actually already own all that land in between killington and pico no it's actually owned by a third party but we have a
0: long-term lease on it so we do we lease that land and um you know so we have a long-term lease so we can do what we want there but um you know, it's going to be expensive to, to develop it, and, and um, you know, as I said, it's still on the list, and I think as the village comes on and we see how all the different things start happening, we can continue to reevaluate that, but um, right now, I'd say it's a little bit lower down on the list.
1: Yeah, for now, I don't really mind Pico being kind of a secret. I feel like if it was anywhere else in Vermont, or actually anywhere else in the Northeast, it would be a major mountain. The fact that it sits right next to Killington kind of gets overlooked, which is nice, um, for people who want to get away from the crowds. Uh, so you, you can keep that secret for as long as you want.
0: <laughs> well, we'd like a couple more people to find it, but you're, you're right.
1: So when the snow all melts, uh, you've got quite a lot going on at Killington. Um, the Beast 365 Pass is, uh, will get you on the hill all year round. That's a pretty cool product. Um, you've also added zip lines, ropes, courses, the whole nine. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that summer business and how it's contributing to your long-term growth?
0: Yeah, I mean, so we've had mountain biking here for 25 years, mostly off the top, off the gondola, mostly single tracks and pretty gnarly stuff. And and it wasn't until about five years ago that we finally were really looking at summer and, and um, talking about what we could do to try to grow mountain biking. And we brought in the guys that built the Whistler Mountain Bike Park, and uh, they laid out a five-year plan, really, to build new trails down in Snowshed and Ramshead and um so anyway we embarked on that and we pitched out the powder and they you know they gave us the money and we've been building it you know slow like the last five years we've been adding trails and uh you know the first year we started a snowshed and then you know we had, we had the lift running a couple of days a week and every year we've been just continuing to grow as we've been growing and making sure the model's working and yeah it's gone great i mean we used to do about 2,000 bike visits a year so be small and then uh, we pretty much doubled the last couple of years and we're somewhere around thirty-five thousand now. Um, so you know we're running running three detachable lifts for mountain biking. So that's the most of, clearly anybody in the East Coast, and probably a lot bigger than a lot of the guys out west. So you know we're doing really well. The summer business is um, is strong, and uh, you know we're you know the mountain as you and as you mentioned, you know, we added zip lines and, and those types of things, you know, and they've been great. So, you know, we had a mountain coaster and a Woodward rectangle, which is like a ninja course. And, you know, it's just, um, we're continuing to get more and more people moving here for this coming here for the summer, which is good for not just the resort. It's good for the whole Killington community. We're getting more restaurants and hotels that are now opening for summer because there's business around and, You know, you can imagine that's just good for a whole bunch of things in the whole local economy. So, you know, we're pretty excited about it. Uh, We've doubled our employment in summer from five years ago. So, uh, you know, a lot of great stuff happening. It's still, you know, relatively small compared to the, the winter business, but... You know the exciting thing for us is, as you mentioned, we we came out with the Beast 365 Pass, which is basically 100 bucks a month. You can do any of our anything we have. You can golf, you can mountain bike, you can ski, you can take the gondola to the peak, uh, all those types of things. And um, it's really gotten a lot of traction. Um, we uh, sold, let's see, last year we sold about 750. This year we did about 50 percent more than that. So, wow. you know, we continue to grow that. I mean, it's a very you know, it's more of a subscription-based model like a lot of um, people are used to, and I think people see a ton of value in it. Uh, it's been great. We're finally getting people moving here because uh, we've had, you know, people buying condos in the area because they want a mountain bike, and they don't even ski. Can you imagine that?
1: <laughs> well, it sounds like you can keep busy over there. Uh, lots of exciting things happening. Mike, I really can't thank you enough for your time today. I uh, can't wait to get up to Killington the 2nd year open um, and keep going till hopefully June again.
0: It's great. Looking forward to a great year. I appreciate your time, and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon.
1: All right. Thanks so much, Mike. Have a good one. Just think about that the guy's Sharp, right? Takes a certain kind of guy to manage Killington, and everything that comes with it. That guy's Mike Salomano. He's doing a hell of a job at it. Let me know what you thought about that on Twitter at Storm Ski Journal. Also, let me know who else do you want to hear from. I have a few interviews in the can, chasing some people. But I want your ideas. Who else do you care about in the Northeast? I'll tell you who you can hear from real soon. Platyco owners Danielle and Laszlo Beite will be my episode two guests. Very excited to get that one out there. To get it as soon as it's available, subscribe to the Storm Skiing newsletter at skiing.substack.com. The Storm Skiing Journal is also on Medium. Thank you so much for your time today. I'm Stuart Winchester. I look forward to doing it again soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.